Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello there. This is Hugh Ballou. I'm the founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. We get Center Vision. It's the synergy of a common vision. It resembles what I did for 40 years as a musical conductor. We build high-performing ensembles. So at Center Vision, we work with uh, nonprofit leaders and clergy, building high-performing teams, implementing their plan, and creating harmony. Speaking of that, boards of directors, that's an interesting, interesting group within nonprofits. And there's a lot to be said about boards, but our guest today um, is Dr. Mary Hyland, and Mary's going to talk about the relationship between the executive and the board. So Mary, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, and please tell people a little bit about yourself, and then what's your passion for? Well, thank you, Hugh. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's very exciting to be here and have this conversation. Um, well, I've been around in the nonprofit sector for over 40 years. I was an executive for 26 years. I built a very small nonprofit up to a nonprofit with 530 people. Uh, after 26 years, I left and I've been consulting with boards and executives for 18 years. Um, I've served on a board myself for 17 years too. So I've, I've been on both sides of the table. And in my consulting, I have studied and researched and focused on really understanding boards and executives and how they can work effectively together. So I'm excited to come talk about that today. So um, what excites you most about this topic? Um, what excites me is the potential that I see in boards of directors. You know, there's a lot of what I call board bashing out there where people are blaming boards and saying, you know, if I didn't have such a terrible board, I could do better. But there are problems with boards. But I have seen boards have amazing positive impact. And I've seen executives, and I've been an executive, so I know what's possible. And what excites me is the possibilities of unleashing the potential, both for executives and boards, and the power of their partnership. So that's what I love working on. You know, um, what we talk about with our, our organizations that, that we work with is the it's, it's the synergy of the leader and, and, the, and the organization. And strong cultures are a reflection of strong leaders. Effective cultures are, are the mirror image of an effective leader. Op, optimistic, energized, whatever word you want to use, really the culture is a reflection of the leader. And you're focusing in on the executive director. Now, this could be a pastor, could be a president of the, of the nonprofit, it could be you know, a, a number of different titles, but it's, it's the influencer and their relationship with the board of directors. So speak a little bit about, you know, we want to blame other people. It's natural to blame other people for our faults, but how many times are, are leaders complaining about a situation that they participated in creating? Well, that's a really good point. I had a personal experience when I was an executive where I, there was a consultant and I went and I said, I'm having this problem and won't go into the details of that. But she said, what are you doing to contribute to it? And I think, uh, well, when I see executives, often it's not intentional, but they, number one, aren't really aware of the value that their board can bring. And it's just really hard. I mean, you have a whole group as your supervisor. Now, some boards think the chair of the board's the supervisor of the executive. That's a big mistake. It actually conflicts with federal law. Um, no one person on a board has any authority, but there's an exception, but we don't get into that. Um, but 
I really think that the most effective executives are those who really want to develop a strong board and aren't threatened by having a strong board. That partnership is the leadership team of the nonprofit, and together they create the results. It isn't something I think the executive can do alone. You have to partner with the board to get the best outcomes that you want for your nonprofit. Well, technically, the executive runs the organization and reports to the board, and the board has oversight of, of all of the work, the strategy, the governance, the, the, the financial approvals, the contracts. So the, the board has oversight, uh, but the, you know, really don't want the board messing in the day-to-day -day because that's not their strong suit. Right. Absolutely. In fact, I, if I had to say one thing to board members about their role versus the executive's role, is you have nothing to do with the day-to-day -day management and operation of your organization. If you're volunteering somehow in those roles, maybe you're a brand new nonprofit or a nonprofit that doesn't have any staff, you have to take your board hat off and go to being a staff volunteer uh, resource for your nonprofit. And if there is an executive director, that person's responsible for your supervision. So it's two different roles. It's not one role as a board member who happens to be doing day-to-day uh, -day work. I think oftentimes I see that there's adversarial relationships when <laughs> it's really not necessary. Sometimes the executive is intimidated by the board and sometimes the board really doesn't know how much work it takes to accomplish what it takes in the driver's seat running the organization. So they continue to heap on more duties. And so there's, there's, um, we intimidate ourselves, I think, with our own scripts. And we probably, which starts with the word nonprofit, it's, which is a really bad word. <laughs> and it puts us in a, in, a, in a negative mindset, but we add to that. And we say, oh, we dance around stuff. And then we finally say, I'm going to be blunt. Well, maybe the word is we want to be direct. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, the executive director shows up and they want to they say, I'm, I'm just aggressive. Well, maybe you're just assertive. <laughs> so there, and then I got to go to them and I got to hit them. I'm going to confront them. Well, confront doesn't, it means with your front technically. So we've really, we've really skewed the relationship because of some of our own scripts as leaders. How do you see that playing out in this relationship, which ought to be, as you're, as you're leading us, this ought to be this synergy of this friendly, engaging, collaborative relationship? Well, I think a lot of things boil down to trust. But if you trust your board, you have confidence that they are there to support your best interests, of course, the best interests of your nonprofit as well. And I think that leaders, you know, you're talking about mindset. I think if you, if you come into it with a scarcity mindset, I think that you, any leader needs to be self-aware, self-reflecting. How confident are you? You aren't really able to be assertive in a constructive way if you're not confident in yourself. And leaders who are frankly needy or scared or um, there aren't, it isn't that you can't have situations where those are realistic emotions. But I think that we need to have confidence in ourselves as leaders and trust ourselves and approach board members who are volunteers from the mindset that they're there because they care about your mission. This is your common ground. And everything comes back to that. And I think what you're saying, Hugh, about synergy is really the ideal state you want. You want to be in a synergistic relationship with your board where you're leading together. And the board's job is broader than oversight. Oversight's included, but that's not very exciting. And it's not very, it doesn't really connect them to the mission. Um, so there's more they can do than that. And the good executive, the strong executive, wants a strong board. And I think that's possible. I see that uh, a lot. Yeah, and that's to revise mutual advantage. And I think it's, it's really understanding role, responsibility, and as you, as you point out, your mission, and being very focused on, on what we do. 
I've seen boards go from sitting back and nodding and I call it a nodding board. They nod and they go home and they do nodding. Mm -hmm. And so to, to then leaning in to the, the, the conversation and say, okay, I can do this. So you really want an active engaged board. So rolling up their sleeves is a good thing. Yes. So we're speaking with Dr. Mary Highland today. Uh, Mary has a podcast um, it's called Inspired Nonprofit Leadership. You can find it on uh, the podcast store f- with Apple and probably other places. Can't you find it anywhere the podcasts are, uh, Mary? Pretty much. Um, Spotify is a good alternative to um, Apple if you need it, but iTunes, Spotify, yeah, yeah it gets out and, there. And, and soon to be uh, published, author, you're published, but to, to write a book. And um, I see behind you, all around you, there's your, <laughs> what I call visually displayed thinking. Uh, and I can relate to that. I use meeting planning that way. And it really helps to stay centered and focused and not lose track of some of the things that are important. So, and you were talking about that when we were coming on, I stopped you because I wanted you to share with everybody six different areas of importance. But tell us a little bit about this book that's coming. Well, I've, you can see the, the little circles over there. I did some research in the past looking at retrospectively, you know, over a hundred cases of people who brought board issues to me. And then I also interview executives and board members and, uh, and accumulate new cases as we go along. But I, I really was trying to define, frankly, as a consultant, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? And as you know, and as you've pointed out, Hugh, problems with boards are complex and they go all over the gamut. So I was having trouble with my own sort of business development hat on. And then it occurred to me, um, as I looked in a deeper dive into these case studies and looked at what is the problem, And I found that all of the problems with boards fit into three uh, categories, three dimensions of the board. Uh Capacity, connection, which is about the relationships, and culture. And within each of those, there's a people side of that and a process side of that. And so that's what I'm talking about in the book, is how do you diagnose or assess the issues you're trying to change with your board in an appropriate way. Because I have found that executives come to me with, and they frame the issue as capacity. If they just know their roles and responsibilities, if we just have more board members, if we just have the right board members, these are all capacity issues, but the problems might actually be deeper. They might be about the quality of relationships, the the quality of the people uh, might be about the culture of the board, things like mindset that we've already brought out. So I find that people aren't going deep enough. Now, some problems are at the capacity level, but some, when you try those surface, you know, just send our board to training, training doesn't change behavior. Knowledge can be the foundation of beginning to be aware that you need to change. But anyway, I can go on and on and on about that. But it, I'm hopeful that there's going to be great strategies in there from my deep experience and study um, and that of others, of course, about what do you do about it when you have these problems? I think um, I, I, I do. I, part of my study was leadership, part of it is strategic planning, part of it is coaching, but part of it is facilitation. And one of the tools that we use in facilitation is situation analysis. And problem solving is a whole tool set in itself. Mm -hmm. And and I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, Sometimes we're not sure what the problem is we're solving. And I've had boards of 10 where I've said, okay, and I use half sheets of paper and we put them on sticky boards and it's okay, write down the, the question we need to ask, you know, to, to, what is the problem we're solving or, you know, what is the situation? So whatever is appropriate. I said, would you write it out? And very often I'll get 11 answers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. People are not aligned on what is the real issue here. And, and, 
then we put them up and we look at it and then we say, is it really something that precedes these, these, is it something that these are a symptom of? And so many times we're looking at symptoms. So there's a whole skill set. And I think that's probably a leadership skill for the executive is to be able to properly uh, engage the board. And I think if, if they can be a participant in identifying some of the issues that we're solving, then we've already started down a, a where you talked about relationship and trust, those go hand in hand. So we've started down a different col, uh, collective thinking, cooperation, collective thinking, um, synergy building and consensus building pathway. Uh, so in problem solving, what, what are some of the things that are effective and how does the leader show up and facilitate that conversation? Well, I think there's two things I'd like to say about that. One is you want to make sure you want to be asking why is that the problem? You know, the five whys. Why do we care about this? Um, and really do get down to the problem. And I'm hoping, you know, that what I have to offer will help people do that in this three. Is it capacity? Is it our, a relationship? And even if the board's not a strong team, that could be it. But the other side that I like to bring in is the perspective that's called appreciative inquiry, mm -hmm. where you're really spending time focusing on when it was working or when it worked for you before in another organization, what was present, what was going on when it was working. Because I think that uh, if you look at appreciative inquiry and, and some of the work that's been done in that area, they found that it's much more effective in an organization, nonprofit or otherwise, when you want something to change or get better, to focus on what your own experience and the experience of others has worked in the past versus focusing too much on the problems. So while I'm helping identify problems, I'm really saying that once you kind of know what you want to work on, back up and say, have we dealt with anything like this before? Has it, for example, I worked with an uh, executive director and they there were communication problems. And instead of saying, well, what are the problems? How are we going to fix it? We said, okay, we've identified these types of communication problems. When you were in a situation where communication was really positive, what did it look like? And so we created some guidelines out of that for positive, healthy communication. And the guy who invented this approach was asked to come into an organization and solve their sexual harassment incident problem. And he said, I want you to tell me what do you want to create? He said, don't tell me what the problem is. He said, tell me what you want to create. And they thought about it and the organization leaders came back and said, we want healthy cross-gender relationships. And he said, now we can find where do healthy cross-gender relationships exist in your organization and those examples can teach us what to create. So, um, I, yeah, I love appreciative inquiry as a, as a whole way of approaching issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have a mindset of just look at what's positive as well. And, um, I don't like to use SWATs for that reason. Use a whole different, different model. So you've really switched the paradigm around instead of focusing on the problem. Um, one, one thing that, that I've used that works really well is let's, let's envision what we want. Let's mm -hmm. envision the ideal situation. And then say, well, how do, what do we need to do to be able to get there? Or what, what updates or changes do we need to do? Or what do we need to add that we're not doing? So, you know, there's, there's, there's different ways of approaching. I think we really give energy to what we think about, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think if, if when we think about the board executive relationship, that's exactly the question that I think, when you have a new board chair, for example, you want to sit down with them and say, what is a, what is a real positive relationship look like to you? You know, how do you envision us working together over the coming year? And I think that, that those are ways that you build that partnership with your board is understanding, you know, you've got maybe 12, 15 people, they all have different perspectives. So getting to know them and understanding their views of success can be very helpful to you. 
I think you should never have lunch alone. You should always be meeting with either your supporters, or your board members. So yeah, there's a term you used and that people may not be as familiar with or or lightly familiar with it that you might add some some shape around. Capacity building is is a buzzword. And mm -hmm. you spoke of, of capacity, not only board capacity, but in other ways. So speak a little bit about capacity and what does that mean and why is that important? Well, capacity is important to nonprofits because if you don't have any, you can't get anything done. I mean, we, we form organizations because we can't accomplish something alone. So the implication of that at its very basic level is we need more capacity. We need more people. But capacity also is about your processes and systems that you have in place. You know, if you have to reinvent things all the time, if you don't, aren't implementing things in a way that's really working for you, you're burning up capacity, you're reinventing the wheel, all these kinds of things. So I think we often think of capacity in nonprofits as just the people side of things, having the right people on the bus, to quote Jim Collins, uh, in the right seats. That's true for your board, but it's true for your whole organization. Then you have, uh, so going deeper on the personal side, you have personal capacity. And it gets back to what you opened up with you in terms of executives sacrificing themselves. This doesn't serve anyone. We know that if you, um, that Harvard, they did a study in some banks and they found out that people, uh, people in the bank, the employees who engaged in self-renewing practices, and they taught them what they were and I don't want to go off on that, but there are self-renewing practices that deal with your uh, mental status, your emotional status, your spiritual status, things that you can do to energize yourself because you can build your energy. You can't get more time, but you can get more energy. And as they renewed and went home at five o'clock and didn't work late, meditated, exercised, all these things that very busy executives sometimes tell themselves, because I hear it, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Those folks were more productive on the job than the ones that didn't do those practices. So it's a real myth that taking care of yourself is taking time away. No, because taking care of yourself builds your capacity by building your energy to bring to the work you need to do. So. Ooh. That's great. So important. That is so great. That is so great. Um, so there's, um, let's dig into the roles a little bit. I've been a staff person and I've worked with boards and committees. And I've also been the president of the board, the board chair, and worked with an executive. Uh, so I've been on both sides of that. So we've got, as Murray Bowen puts in his leadership writing, there's a triangle and relationships. And so the person that really runs the meeting is the committee chair or the board chair president, the person that's the volunteer in the seat that's charged with facilitating the meeting. So the, the part you just talked about um, was always critical for me as a staff person to meet in between meetings with that person and to scope out what's going on in between meetings and to scope out how the meeting's going to run in how we're going to uh, play together in that meeting. So that's an essential relationship. So speak a little bit about those distinctive roles and how those function together and, and maybe some ways to, um, we're going to have conflict. It's, it's a sign of energy, but how do we manage the, the things that don't go right when, when we have a, a, a skip on our step or a trip on our step, brother? <laughs> Okay. Well, those are two very big questions. So yeah. <laughs> first one, let's go back to the roles, if, if you don't mind. So I'm going to back up a little bit and elaborate a little more about the overall role of the board. I frankly think there's a good book out there written by a Harvard guy and associates called Governance as Leadership. Uh, it's been around for a while. It's really good. I recommend it. But I frankly, after all my studies, Man, my doctoral work was all on this whole thing, uh, was I think governance is leadership, and this is how. So when you think about the role of the board, it isn't just oversight, that's one, but there's four, you know, my, my doctoral studies in leadership, I've kind of boiled it down to four functions that leaders have. One is to envision the future. 
And under this is all your planning, uh, looking at your market, and you do have a market as a nonprofit, um, considering strategic partnerships, things like that. So that's one of the functions of the board is to envision the future, but you do that with your executive because they are the thought leader in your field. They know your nonprofit better than anyone sitting on the board. They know the strategies you're using to have impact for your mission. So you have to do this together. The second thing, and this creates tension, but I think the key, one key thing to recognize conflict is first to recognize where there are ambiguities and tension in the, in the situations you're in and in the roles you're in, and you just have to acknowledge it and work it out together, is you have to um, know the reality of your nonprofit and agree on how you're gonna respond to that. And under that comes the board's responsibility to ensure there's resources to advance the mission. This is where the oversight role fits. This is where supporting and overseeing and, and evaluating your executive sits. You got to know reality and respond. But um, you got a tension here between, oh, here's the future we want to create, that vision you talked about earlier, Hugh, and here's where we are. So you got to figure out together how do we get from here to there. The third leadership function is to inspire and engage others to act. You're not leading if you don't have any followers. So this is critical for board members and they can really leverage themselves to build the social capital of your nonprofit. This is where you as an executive, what you can do alone is just multiplied when you have a board working with you out in the community to inspire and engage others, being ambassadors, being advocates. So that's important too, and that's not oversight, and that's fun, frankly, uh, and marketing and things like that can be there. The fourth bucket is one that, that we don't think about very often, and that's, we, we did talk about it earlier for executives, that's a self-reflection and self-management. And in this area of leadership belongs all of the board's self-management. And I don't think boards, frankly, pay enough attention to this or do it very well. What's your system for recruiting that's effective? How are you orienting your board members? How are you structuring yourself and how are you using your strategic plan to decide the important work of the board? So I know I got off on that instead of relationship, but if your board understands this, if the board understands these key roles and it's not day to day, then I think you work it out together in the areas where you have shared leadership because there is shared leadership. There's shared leadership on envisioning the future. Uh, there's shared leadership on relationship building, um, in being out in the community and, and being a spokesperson. Um, there's a lot of shared leadership and that can be where tension arises because you're not clearing, cl being clear with each other about your roles, about your responsibilities and your authority and the boundaries that you need to create so you're not stepping on each other's toes. So I'll stop there. I, I know no, I <laughs> that's really no that's that's really good stuff. I'd like to share with people that we do transcribe these interviews. So there's a whole lot of stuff that went by there that's really important stuff. So you if you go to the nonprofit, the nonprofit exchange, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org, and then click on this episode, or if it's, uh, I don't know when you're listening to the podcast, it might be another year than 2020 that we're in now, but you can click at the bottom of that page. There's a, a link to previous videos, and then you can find this episode. Um, and it's uh, really worth looking at the, the, uh, the transcription because there's a lot of really good stuff. And Mary, we'll share with people that you and I met 23 hours ago. Yes. <laughs> And, and my guest for today uh, ended up in the hospital with uh, something you might have heard of, COVID. And, uh, um, um, and so he said, I just don't, can't do it. I said, oh, really? I guess not. <laughs> and I said, Mary, what are you doing tomorrow? And you said, I, what? So thank you for being here. Mary is obviously um, an expert on leadership. And you used, um, used the word a whole lot in that, that explanation that people... I find people really don't understand very much, and that's the word leadership. And so you've really, in your in your conversation, you've expanded the definition to what what it really is and how it applies. 
I'm going to ask you about these these three areas that you we've highlighted it on the the page. Um, what three strategies are critical to building strong board executive relationships? So I want to do a minute for uh, one of our sponsors. We do have uh, sponsors that allow us to give away stuff to to talk about things that are important and to be able to have time like this with guests that are important. And so we want to highlight highlight the sponsor. And I just want to show you something here. If you're watching on the podcast, that's fine. You can see this, I mean, on the, the video, but on the podcast, I'll tell you how to, how to see this. If you take out the, your phone and you send a text to uh, a number, I'm going to give you the number. It's five digits, six, four, six, zero, zero. If you send a text to six, four, six, zero, zero, and in the message, you put LDR, LDR. It's real short for leader. It's a short read. So we, um, we have everything about Center Vision and our work on this. This, this is a virtual card for, for Center Vision. And it's the foundation to support leadership. And here we are today's uh, three must-know strategies for building a strong board executive relationship. And our, it's, it's on there. And you can watch it actually on the app on your phone. So we're, our guest is um, really got some good things to share. Um, Dr. Mary Hyland, who's not only got the uh, credentials of education, but she's got some years in the trenches and probably working in multi, multiple different hats and, and organizations. So let's move, uh, and I put these that you gave me on the website. The three, three strategies are critical to building strong board executive relationships. It's build trust, executive assets, and managing expectations. So would you unpack those for us? Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> the build trust one, I want to do a little deeper dive if we can. The last two, executive assets and managing expectations, in some ways overlap with, with build trust, but I call them out because they're so critical to the relationship. But what I found in studying the board uh, chair executive relationship, which was one of my research projects, I found that there were three types of trust. And uh, first, what is trust? You know, those of you out there listening, I'll just pause a second where you think about one or two words of what is trust. Now, trust is not honesty. It is not, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. It's not communicating uh, effectively. It's a feeling. You know, if you're walking down a dark street and you hear footsteps behind you, you have to tap into your gut and say, do I trust that I'm okay? Um, so trust is fundamentally confidence the feeling of confidence that someone at best has your best interests at heart. Um, in the worst case, they're at least not going to hurt you. Okay, so that's trust. Now, there's, there's three levels of trust. One is calculus-based trust. I wish I had better uh, names for these. If you can think of a great title, share it with me. That's the trust that gets us out of bed every day. You know, it's like you, you get in your car and you drive down the street. You don't know the person in the cars on the other side of the road, but you trust that they're not going to run over you or crash into you. So that's the basic trust. It's the lowest level of trust. Now, trust is cumulative. I, in my research, there were, there was a board executive chair that, you know, relationship that only had that level of trust. It was really weak. So the next level is what we think of the most, and that's knowledge-based trust. And that's when you get to know each other better. So you want to be getting to know each other. You want to get to know your board members. You want them to be able to get to know you. And there's three kinds of knowledge-based trust. There's contractual, where you're doing the, you know, agreements. There's communication and there's competence. And we'll talk more about that uh, in a second. But just keep in mind that it's getting to know you. You can build trust. Now, it's possible that you're not building trust if you're not doing effective behaviors with each other in that category. Um, the final one is the surprise, and that's called identification-based trust. And we often think sometimes that being professional is not being personal. 
Okay, now of course we're talking about appropriately personal people, but the pairs in my research of the board chairs and the executives that have the strongest, most impactful relationships in all kinds of ways for their nonprofit had strong identification-based trust. And this is where you don't just know the person, you identify with them. Well, in order to identify with them, you need to be able, you need to know them on a personal level. And so this is where there were not as many executives and boards where they had this more personal knowledge of each other. And it really behooves you to spend time with your board members, spend time with your board chair particularly, to get to know some things about them personally so you can find that personal common ground. Now, the benefits of identifying with each other were you could, you could speak on behalf of each other. So you could trust your board chair, for example, to be out in the community speaking on behalf of your nonprofit. You didn't have to be there. You didn't have to be worried about whether they were going to say the right things. Um, so anyway, that's trust. Trust is cumulative. Um, you have to do different trust building behaviors and the action plan that uh, Hugh just put up a link to, all kinds of different behaviors to build trust of all those types are in that trust building action plan that you can grab by going to the place that uh, Hugh just put up. So that's build trust. Uh, that's the basics. You've got to have it. Now, executive assets is something I really want to tell you executive directors out there, one of the types of trust is competence. Now you would not hire an electrician to work on your plumbing, right? Yeah. Because they're not competent to work on your plumbing, they're competent to work on electricity. So this relates to competence-based trust, but you are gonna have a stronger relationship with your board if, if every board member knows what assets you are bringing to the job. Now, your search committee on the board when you were hired probably knows what that is, what those are. But after you're hired, when you get new board members on, do you share your resume with them? Do you talk to them about your education, your experience, your network, your ability to tap into colleagues to solve problems, your ability to influence in the community as a leader because you're connected to people? These are all assets that you have as an executive director. And the more each board member knows about you and knows about these assets that you bring, your special skills, your special knowledge, your experience, connections, all that stuff, they're going to have stronger trust in you because you're going to be viewed as very competent. So that is really important, executives. Um, and of course, for board members out there, this can be important for you too to share your competence as a board member. And some of you may be new and not have very much, but some of you may be experienced board members. The third thing, managing expectations, we've talked about that already. And this is about getting very clear about these roles and understanding. And like, you know, Hugh, you brought up the idea of working with the chair of a committee. You know, the chair of the committee is a facilitator, not a command and control person. Uh -huh. um, you know, they don't own what everybody is supposed to do on that committee. So, but managing expectations, that can be all about uh, sharing what capacity you do have. If your board is asking you to do more than you really feel you can manage, or you if, don't sacrifice yourself and say, oh, I'll do it anyway. You want to say, you know what, what I, I went to my board and I said, you know, if I'm going to take that on, we have to negotiate what I'm going to let go of. Amen. Oh, yeah. So okay. you, you, you can set limits by managing expectations. And that's why this particular strategy is so critical, because this is the one you need to protect yourself to protect your capacity, grow your energy. It's okay to do things, but you and the board need to agree on the priorities. Um, so those are the three uh, in a nutshell. That's great the stuff. Three strategies. And, and I remind people, if you're listening to the podcast, it's going to be embedded in the podcast. It's on the page for the nonprofit exchange. So Mary, um, we're going to um, 
allow people to ask some questions if that's oh, okay. Great. Oh, okay. I'd love that. And, and, you know, uh, you and I have just, this is our second conversation. It is phenomenal that we're aligned on every single point that you're making. So um, we've got people from Bedford. And so my guest that was got COVID is from Bedford. So, we, uh, so uh, Mr. Rash, uh, you have a question or comment? Well, now, first of all, I have a deep appreciation for uh, <clears throat> But Mary has ta talked about, I think, I, I, I'm also with you, you, that uh, I'm in 100% agreement with it. Uh, I found a decision I made 40 years ago when I created the first board, um, well, intuitively, it was to uh, try to have people who were trust, who I trusted and who trusted me, and who, uh, and who in their volunteering were giving were, were also giving all of their skills and knowledge to to the work and uh as opposed to trying to create a board just to or get money you know someone's going to go out and find money well we didn't find found enough money after all these years but i do have three and a half i guess nonprofits that have been successful for all that time but i'd like to hear comments about inside and outside boards and about how do you balance those two issues? Because I found it personally as the president and the founder of the organization and, uh, and one who, and a person who uh, does not micromanage, I give a lot of authority and, and our organization has been 85 to 95% women run, women's run over these years that, um, uh, that I have found that you know the the male versus female culture, had, uh, and yet the time over this time, I find is there's really no, I'm making that distinction only as a historical reality. Um, our board is made up of uh, our board is made up of let me see, uh, fifty percent. It's about fifty fifty right now. Um, We've been, in, but the board has not been a board that's active in bringing in uh, bringing in income. And I'm, mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk about inside versus or what I call inside versus outside board. I'm assuming you mean by outside board then the people who go out and ask for money, because I would say well, all boards need to be outside building relationships whether that's for money or just engagement of people with your mission. But if, if it's about this, this is a, a just the, one of the biggest problems that people have with boards is transitioning when they need to. Not every financial model requires a nonprofit to fundraise, but when they need to, as they grow up, transition a board to have more of a fundraising role. Um, I, I do have to say, at risk of being unpopular, there I don't think of fundraising boards. Boards have to govern. They can't give up the strategic issues and oversight, but they can also help bring in resources. And there are many strategies, for example, to build. I talked to somebody yesterday who didn't know that you can have people on board committees who are not board members. So she can build this big fundraising committee with a couple of key board leaders and that gives her capacity without making the other board members who aren't yet ready or who will never really transition to raising money feel they have to go away or lose them. So um, I think the key first step to create, creating a board that is starting to fundraise or transitioning to that is to get some leadership on the board. And I'm talking about true facilitative leadership where they can appreciate where everyone is in fundraising and tap into people's potential, empower them, coach them, honor them around the fears people have about asking for money. But the fact is 90% of the way boards add value in raising money is by building relationships. It has nothing to do with asking for the money it has everything to do with networking and building relationships and introducing people to your mission. The money oh, will flow. That's a good setup. Um, we have the author of this book on the, on the line here, Bob Hopkins, who 
who's a um, professional, has, has had a career, um, a CFRE professional. So Bob, you're in Dallas, Texas. What do you, you have something to share or a question for our guest? I do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I assume that you can hear me, Mary. Is that correct? Yes, I can, Bob. Okay, good. Well, uh, tell me the name of your book. Oh, it's, uh, I, I haven't finished the title yet. It's in the works, but something like Love Your Board, Discover the Three Keys to Understanding What's Really Going On, and okay. Develop Your Board for Impact. Right. Well, when I heard you were coming on, I jumped at the opportunity here to get on because this is one of my favorite topics. I've been an executive director of nonprofit organizations um, for most of my life, but um, and every time I get it figured out, I realize I don't know anything about people, you know? I think I get people all figured out and I put people in pigeonholes and, and, and then they, they fail me or something happens or whatever. But I do love what you have to say and I I'm, can't wait oh, to thank you. have you finish your book so that I can get a copy of it. You know, I've, I've been involved with this topic probably for 40 years, but my first book, that I read was the the fund the uh, board members book, and this wasn't very big, but it was kind of my guide in 1980 when I started uh, my first job. And the, Arthur Fransreb, I don't know if you know that name or not. Mm -mm. He wrote the book "Not on This Board, You Don't." And, oh, uh, love that title! <laughs> I know exactly, and he got a lot of attention through that. But you know, um, I started out with a nonprofit organization. And, and it's in my book, there's 10 pages in, in my book about this experience. It was called a disease called neurofibromatosis. And um, I didn't have many board members, I had seven. But when I took over, three of them said, you know what, we've already had enough of this organization, so we're gonna leave. So that ended me with four. And anyway, they asked me how long it would take me to get the organization together, and I said two years. Uh, Mary, I was there eight, eight years. And, and so that's when I decided that, you know, I kind of had this thing together and it would be okay if I left because it might survive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm kind of of the mind that you, a board should not hire an executive director who, who won't commit to you for at least three years because it's, this board business is all about relationships relationship building and you know your relationship or the executive director or the person who's in charge needs to have this relationship with these people because just because you've been in a couple of meetings with them you have no idea what the capability of individual people are or what their passions are or how can you develop that passion or whatever what do you think about longevity as far as boards board directors are concerned well, like for individual board members, you mean, or well, let's the start, start with the executive director. What do you think yeah. about what I said about not hiring somebody who's not willing to commit to three years? Oh, I agree. Um, I, you know, then that's a very interesting issue because I don't, I, I need to ask the executives that I work with and coach uh, whether they've ever made that commitment and what their understanding was with their board. When I was hired as CEO, uh, I was asked to make a five-year commitment. But we had done, uh, my second stint, uh, we had done a merger where in six months we brought together four nonprofits. So we knew we had a huge amount of work to do. And um, I think that you, I think three years, frankly, would be a minimum. I would expect um, a board to be very explicit about that. And I appreciate you bringing it up because I would guess that many boards aren't when they're hiring. So executives, you need to think about that. You need to think about what are you gonna to communicate to the board you may be interviewing with about what kind of commitment you're willing to make. Of course, we all know that we don't control anybody. You know, it's not like these are legally binding agreements, but I think this is all part of managing expectations. You know, if you're coming in and being hired and the board is thinking, oh, this guy's going to be here for, you know, 10 years. And you're thinking, well, I'm going to turn this around and escape in three years. That's not managing expectations together. So, um, but, you know, it brings up another thing, Bob, which is about the board chair, because I've spent a lot of time looking at that role. And I personally think that there's no research out there to support it that I'm aware of, but I, I think the board chairs should be in their roles at least two years. 
because I think that, you know, when you think about the executive starting all over again, year after year after year, and it just doesn't work. Um, there was a national study that I was part of. There were five of us researchers. The first ever study in the United States on board chairs where board chairs were asked to respond. All the other studies were about board members talking about board chairs or executives talking about board chairs. We had 635 board chairs respond to that study. And when we asked, did they prepare? 51%, you know, we all know this, but this was actually research confirmed. 51% said they did nothing to prepare. So I know I got off uh, on your topic there, but I think that this is such a critical leadership role that we need to do more board leadership development on our boards and we also need to have that board chair a little longer and i agree that partnership then with the executive who's also committed to be there for a while then you can have this powerful relationship synergy to lead your organization and make some real progress right I agree with that second issue that you talked about, people being a board chair for two years. I was on a board in the 90s on two different boards and where I realized after I had finished one year that that wasn't really enough time. And so I asked my board, please elect me for another year because we're not finished doing what we're doing now. Yeah. And you know what, since then, since the 90s, both of those boards have done two year stints for each of their board chairs. Good, good. And so thank you for um, telling everybody that topic because it's not a one year deal. No. And Bob is um, is a is a as is Sheikh Ashid, they are um, major influencers and have done many many projects with many boards in many places. So I, there's a model that that I think works really well. I've just rotated off of one where you have a, a cycle where the 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 president elect vice president has a two year ramp up. So and mm -hmm. then they're they're elected to be the president for two years and then they're the past president. So you've got you got some fresh energy, but they've got a little bit of time to figure it out because one year is not enough time to figure out the board. And it's certainly not enough time to figure out how to be the, the chair of the president of the board. And then it takes you a little while to get into your stride. And then you can be useful to the next person as the past chair with some information because you hold a lot of information that may not be written down everywhere. That's right. <laughs> so uh, is, no, that, is, that, is that excessive? Is that okay? Yeah, no, I think the the board chair, I find that having the chair elect, not, you know, I mean, I, I've been on some boards where the chair elect starts four years before they become chair. That I don't agree with. Um, I don't agree you have to be treasurer or secretary, but you know, no, uh, but I absolutely agree that a chair elect role um, where you're the chair elect for a year and you're being mentored in that role. Uh, some of that came out in our study that mentoring was the one thing board chairs wish they had before they stepped into that role from their peers or from someone who had been in that role before. So that model is really something all nonprofits, I think, should be doing um, for sure. Absolutely, because it um, the, there's, um, I find with new board members, they're honored and excited and they get in there and then they say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, even if you do an orientation, there's the confidence piece and really, you look around and you don't have the relationship piece that you talked about. So um, I love the way you present leadership and underneath that and is, is, is relationship. So that's a, that's a foundation. It's also the foundation for communications. And as we know, the foundation for raising money. Um, so it's, there's a continuity of people connecting with people because we're there because we share a common passion for for what Bob is so skilled at is uh, philanthropy, the love of humankind. So we are showing up as philanthropists with our time, our talent, and our money. So um, it's 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 really uh, we got time for one more question. Is there a question I did not ask you, or they did not ask you, that you'd like to to respond and ask yourself? <laughs> So oh, uh, I was uh, the way you said that. I thought maybe you were inviting the audience for one more question. No, go for it. There's one more thing you want to talk about that we didn't ask you. Um, I I just 
I guess I want to say that you matter so much, those of you out there working in the sector. And I think that the, you know, it comes back to what I said about capacity, that we need to shift the culture in our sector from this scarcity mindset so that we all value investing in each other, investing in our boards. I, I wanna have a call to action to all you executives out there. Invest in your relationships with your board. You should be spending 20% of your time on your board, on your board, with your board, developing your board, building relationships with your board. I know we didn't talk about that, but if you don't feel you have that time, then you've got to do something else. We have to invest in building these relationships, in building our capacity to have these relationships. So we have to be realistic about what we can and cannot do. You know, I remember when I was negotiating contracts uh, as an executive, the county would just say, well, you know, and other nonprofits would say, well, we have to do more with less. Excuse me, I will not swear on this broadcast, but I feel very strongly about that concept. You cannot do more with less unless you're inefficient and ineffective to begin with, and then maybe you can. So you got to work on that. But this is about getting realistic as a sector about what we can do effectively. Our focus should be on quality, not our quantity of hours and work. It should be on the quality of what we're able to produce with and for each other. So I guess that wasn't so much a question as it was my passion for saying how much I love all of you out there. I love executives. I love boards, people who really care about making a difference in the world. What could be better than that? Love it. Love it. I'm going to do another sponsor moment, then I'll come back to you to say and ask you, what's one thing you would encourage people to do differently after this? You've given us a whole lot to think about, but I want to share this sponsor moment is, is our own Center Vision Leadership community. And we do teaching podcasts uh, every now and then, and we're going to do a webinar um, that's a, really a teaching mm -hmm. webinar uh, and if you want to go to nonprofitwebinar.live, nonprofitwebinar.live, then you can participate. It's, if this one's aimed at people wanting to start a nonprofit, but you know, people have probably heard enough to think they got to restart. There may be some things they've, they've skipped over. So I'm going to share the 10 top reasons nonprofits fail or are challenged and then give you the five essential tools that you need to build. So I want to dig into some of the, the things that Mary's highlighted today and give you some checklists and some to-dos to think about. Um, if you don't have a, the strong, as strong an organization as you want, this will be good. Think about restarting because every time we refresh, we're restarting a new chapter. And right now we're broadcasting in the middle of the COVID and we hope the end of it <laughs> and we're coming out and we got to do something radically different. There's no, new, there's no normal anymore. So Mary, you do have a gift and um, it's um, her name is Highland H I L A N D and it's Highland consulting H I L A N D consulting.org. And then if you put a forward slash trust building, she has a free handout for you. And that's also on the page for this interview. So Mary, if, if people were to do one thing differently after this, what would you say they do right now? I'd say that you be intentional about building your relationship with your board members. Uh, if you're an executive and board members, that you be intentional about building your relationship with your executive because the quality of those relationships is what's going to uh, allow your leadership to be most effective. And that could be, I mean, the basics of all those three strategies, get trust building down, get information. It isn't just what you might think one or two things as to what you can purposefully do to be intentional about building trust. So grab that action plan because it has a, a little chart in there where you can say, okay, here's the person and this is the behavior. There's like 19 behaviors in there. These are the behaviors I'm going to do with that person. So you have an intentional strategy uh, for how you're building trust with everyone. 
because the more diverse strategies you use, the stronger the trust will be. But anyway, do something intentional about building relationship with your board or your exec. Wise words among many wise words. This was so valuable today. Mary Hyland at hylandconsulting.org, H-I-L-A-N-D. That's uh, where you can find her. So thank you for sharing a wealth of information with our friends today. Thank you so much, Hugh. This was great. It was really fun and interesting experience to have this dialogue with you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.